2014 MLS season is officially underway as 19 clubs made their draft selections on Thursday in Philadelphia. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me, as always, is Ivis Galarsep, who is in Philadelphia. How's everything going, buddy? Uh, going pretty well, Garrett. I'm, I'm here uh, at the uh, MLS draft slash NSCAA convention. Mm-hmm. You have coaches uh, from all over the country gathered here for the convention, and uh, I'm sure quite a few of them took in the draft. And uh, once again, the draft is held in Philadelphia, and once again, the Philadelphia Union steal the show. And I guess that's why this is – I mean, we should change the name of this SBI show to the Philadelphia Union podcast based off the guests that we have on the show, right? Well, they're the big winners today, so we have to. We had to give them the spotlight, and not only are they the big, big winners today; they're mm-hmm. the ones making the most news in the league. I mean, no, no, nothing against Toronto FC. Obviously, they made the big splash earlier in the week, but between the Marisa Du stuff and now the recent signing of their new designated player, attacking midfielder. And just now, the great draft that they had, the Union, are are the talk of the league right now. Yeah, come on. Hey, the way Major League Soccer's working now, it's what have you done for me lately? Toronto FC, Ivis, that's old news, man. Over and done. We can move on from there. Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember who they are. Yeah, no, just... I mean, who did they get again? I, I don't even remember. You know what? There's no point in talking about it because it's old news. We got to talk about current news, and that's Philadelphia. Like you said, they had a strong draft. As, as everyone can see in the description, we have the number one overall selection, Andre Blake joining us, and his manager, John Hackworth, joining us on the show today. We'll get into them and those interviews a little later on. Ivis, we have to break down the draft. You For you, this is this is Christmas for you. The draft is Christmas season. Uh, it's a chance for you to break down everything and look at the big draft board, see if all your selections are right. You had Andre Blake, as I just said, the number one on your draft board. He is chosen as the number one pick. Ivis, walk us through this for the Philadelphia Union. This is the first time we've ever seen a goalkeeper selected with the number one overall pick. Right. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't really much of a surprise that he could go number one. I think the the... the the popular consensus around the league was that he was the top talent in this draft. The big question was gonna was always how would he end up being coming number one? Who was gonna trade up? There were several teams interested in him, and, and ultimately it was the the Philadelphia Union, which I think was a surprise to some people, obviously because they have a young goalkeeper who was a starter already, and Zach McMath, and because of the uh, homegrown goalkeeper they have coming up in college in Maryland's Zach Steffen. Uh, but for those of you who read my mock draft uh, the day before the draft, I, I, I gave the union Andre Blake in that mock draft. Uh, and the reason being, he's just too good a talent to pass up. The union had enough draft picks where they could afford to draft for value. And, and the truth be told, they see him as as being capable of being the goalkeeper of the future for that franchise. And, uh, uh, you know, I know, I know union fans will look at it and say, well, we should, you know, we should have addressed other needs. Uh, but at the end of the day, based on the way the rest of the draft actually uh, fell out. They got themselves the best player overall in the draft, arguably the best midfielder in the draft, and for me, one of the top three center backs in the draft. So they 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 just ran away with it. They just it, 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 it things fell so perfectly for them. And with all the trades they made, they were also able to uh, compile a little bit of allocation money as well. Yeah, well, the union swapped the second overall pick and a undisclosed amount of money to DC. I'm sorry, allocation money to DC for the pick. And and, and the thing is, not that I'm saying that just because Andre Blake's the number one overall pick. It, look, pundits Ivis have talked about how he is already an MLS talent ready. If he he could have been playing in the league this past year, going to Philadelphia though. I mean, is there going to be pressure at all for him to start from day one, or, or how does the union kind of manage him and their other young goalkeeper? And you just mentioned Zach McMath. Well, I think people should temper their expectations a bit. Uh, I know the, the natural feel, the natural 
kind of reaction of, of a number one pick coming into the league is that, well, if he's the number one pick, he should be able to play right away. But goalkeeper is a little bit of a different position. It's, re- you know, the intricacies of the position that you need to learn uh, take time. And, you know, generally speaking, a rookie goalkeeper does not get thrown in unless it's, ad- you know, just adverse situation uh, where, you know, it- it's a really bad team or, or, you know, it has to be extenuating circumstances to throw a rookie in as a starting goalkeeper. Uh, one one such goalkeeper that comes to mind, I- I- most recently, Sean Johnson did it with Chicago. But uh, I know Ryan Mira did it last year uh, for the Red Bulls for a stretch, uh, or the year before last year, actually. Time flies. But one one player that comes to mind, Brad Guzan, who was the number two pick of the year, he came out and and he achieved uh, USA. He he pretty much you know team the rest of the league took target practice on Brad Guzan his rookie year. Um, but with Blake, you know you don't have to rush him. Let him learn the position. Obviously, it's a competition for the starting spot. But if he doesn't win the job, I don't think it's panic mode or oh my god he's a bust. The the fact is he's going to need to learn. He's going to need to learn the nuances of the position, learn things that you just aren't going to learn on the college level. So I, you know it's it's going to take some time before he takes over for McMath. And and you know what I wouldn't write McMath off just yet. I don't think Zach McMath's going to lay down and give away his position. If anything, for the people that don't remember, last year he struggled in the first half of the year, and the Union went and got them, themselves a veteran. Uh, European goalkeeper. And when the European goalkeeper arrived, it, it seemed to really spark something in Zach McMath. The second half of the season, he was much, much better. He ended up, I believe, leading the league in shutouts. So, I mean, he he really turned it around. And, and maybe, maybe the competition that Andre Blake's going to bring to the table is mm-hmm. going to make help make McMath an even better goalkeeper. Uh, I, as you just mentioned it, the center back. We've been talking about how this draft is not primarily, but but the but the best. I mean, the, the majority of the talent is at the center back position. There were four center backs taken in the, in the in, with the first ten picks. You got pick at two, got a pick at three, Ivis. You have a pick at eight and a pick at ten. For the center backs taken in this draft, how did you feel with with the way they went down and the teams that they went to? Well, I don't think they were the one big. I got to say, the one big surprise for me was the way that some of the center backs slid, and obviously, you know, different teams and different coaches were going to rate players a different way. Uh, but just looking at at, at the, the the center backs that did go, um, you know, I, I think Burnbaum and Dean, Steve Burnbaum and Christian Dean, the the, the Cal center backs, were always going to go very high. They were always going to be in that top five range, and they both went. Um, and they're 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 you know quality prospects. You have you can't say anything. You can't say enough enough about them. Uh, going further down, Seattle. It's a you know it was a bit of a surprise that when they moved up and they well they they ended up getting having the number eight pick. And they take a player in Damian Lowe, who go becomes the third center back taken, and he barely became he was barely added to the generation Adidas class. So we're talking about a guy who almost wasn't even in the draft, and then he comes into the draft, a center back laden draft, and he's a third center back taken. And I can say one thing that as far as Damian Lowe goes, there were a lot of teams who loved his potential, loved his upside. We're talking about a, a, a 20 year old center back, six foot three, uh, good frame. Athletic, he he's not the he's not the finished product now, but you can put your time in, and Seattle could eventually, two years from now, two three years from now, have themselves a special player. Um, Nick Hagelin, Toronto FC. I thought he, you know, he did impress at the combine, but me personally, I thought there were other center backs who were a little better than him, uh, who should have gone ahead of him. Uh, AJ Cochran, again, another generation Adidas player for the Houston Dynamo who, you know, they're going to love the cap relief and also love the fact they don't have to rush him. So, you know, they, they can bring him along. He's not someone you expect to start right away, especially not for a team like Houston. Uh, and then Grant Van de Castile, who goes, who's the last pick of the first round. For me, a very solid center back who can play right away. 
and just to show you how many center backs there were, mm-hmm. uh, to have Kyle Venter and Kevin Cope, uh, who for me were number three, number four overall in the center backs in this draft, to have them fall into the second round. Uh, and then to have a team like the Galaxy grab Venter, who, I mean, I'm sorry, but he's a first-round talent. So for the Galaxy to grab him and for the Union to grab Cope in the second round, those were two absolute steals. Ah, the rich just get richer. I want to talk to you a little bit about that, Ives, about the surprises. Is there anything that kind of stood out to you in this draft? I mean, was it Kyle Venter dropping down to the second round? Or was it a guy like Patrick Mullins going at the 11th pick to New England Revolution? What stood out to you in this draft that kind of surprised you a little bit? Or if anything, did anything surprise you? Well, I know a lot of people are going to say Patrick Mullins sliding was a surprise. And I I have to say I wasn't surprised at all by that. I I was saying it for a few weeks now that if he didn't go number one, which, you know, I thought was a possibility. I thought if D.C. United uh, stayed there, I know they had always talked about the the talk out of D.C.'s camp had been. And I mean, they wouldn't say state this publicly, but just talking to people uh, connected to D.C. that had an idea what was going on there. The talk in D.C. had been. Either Steve Birnbaum or, or Patrick Mullins; those were their two, the two players they coveted the most in this draft. So, if they didn't take Patrick Mullins number one overall, he was going to slip. Because if you just look at the at the way the first round was laid out in the beginning, the teams that were picking high up just weren't going to grab Mullins. And uh, you know, for me, I thought he would slide. I th- but. I, I honestly, I always thought he would slide down to six, and I thought the Philadelphia Union would, would probably grab him if they had that if they had that pick. But obviously, they they you know the Union made a bunch of trades. They they ended up moving out of that spot, and all of a sudden, Mullins starts to slide. And and, and I said it, I've said it before. There were questions about just where exactly mm-hmm. they play him, and will he be as effective on the next level where he loses a step, where the the speed of play is that much quicker, defenders are that much tougher. So there were those questions. But, uh, you know, to credit to New England, uh, they got themselves a steal at that point. I mean, when you're talking about the number, once he drops down to number 11, I mean, that's good value. And a team like New England with the style of play, their very mm-hmm. wide open attacking style that that they play, you know, the, the, the whole positional issue maybe won't be as much of an issue because just the way they play, there's a lot of uh, interplay, a lot of, a lot of movement, changes in, changing in positions, uh, a lot of overlapping. So players are all over. When when the Rebs play, their players are all you know dropping from midfield up top. Diego Fagundes, Kellen Rowley, when you know all these guys, they they can interchange. They can you know it's just the perfect team to add two players in Mullins and Newman, who a lot of teams had questions about as far as where are they most effective positionally? Are they even true forwards? Can they be effective wingers? And you know what? New England didn't think about all that. New England just saw two. Good soccer players that if you put them on the field, they will combine with other good soccer players and they'll create quality soccer. Uh, it, it's hard to assess certain picks now because you know you never know what can happen. I mean, just because you're picked at a certain number or, or at a certain level doesn't mean that you're automatically be this stud player. But but looking at the draft though, Ivis, I mean, did some teams miss out on an opportunity and make a mistake, or or do you think everyone did a fairly good job this year? Well, I mean, there's always it's always, there's always some question there about picks, and and, I, and you know, looking at the first round, I mean, I thought for the most part teams did all right from a value standpoint. I mean, I, I think you know there were some gambles, no doubt about it. I think FC Dallas at number five taking a, a player in Tesho Akindile, who really impressive at the combine, really intelligent kid, uh, a great athlete, great attacker who could play on the wing up top. I, you know, I thought he impressed, right? I thought he was someone who could be a steal, but to get to to take him all the way up at number five, I thought was a little bit of a shocker. That one, obviously, look, if he if he pans out, if he's as good as they think he can be, they're not going to care that maybe they could have got him later. Um, and Oscar Pereja 
He's a new coach there. He was just a coach in Colorado, and that's where this kid played. So maybe he got a chance to see him. Maybe he knew a little bit more about him than other people. So from that standpoint, you can say, all right, we understand that. Um, for me, Montreal trading up and taking Eric Miller, I thought was a, I thought it was a little surprise because um, – you know, there's some question now about, okay, where is Zach Lee going to play? He can play right back. He can play left back. And then talking to uh, folks in Montreal, they, they, they seem to think he can play center back. And I, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if he – I don't know if Eric Miller is going to play center back on the next level uh, effectively. I don't think that's – I just don't see that being a position for him. So I think Montreal, with, with some of the other options that were on, on the board at that pick, I thought I thought they, they dropped the ball on that one, I got to say. I think they, that stood out for me. Uh, so, but you know what, beyond that, I don't know if there were, were too many, you know, just terrible, uh, terrible drafts. I really, I really don't think there were that many. And I have his teams are going to be back at it again next week as the third and fourth rounds will be conducted. Um, looking, looking at those rounds and looking at your big board, were, were there any players at all that, that weren't selected on Thursday that kind of surprised you a little bit? Can you, can you give us maybe some names, some nuggets of guys that we should pay attention to? Well, just looking at who who was, uh, I'll tell you right now, as far as the highest rated players available, mm-hmm. uh, and just to give you an idea, looking at my big board, uh, my big board, uh, the top twenty two players in the big board were all taken. Uh, the players who are still available among them are Richie Marquez, uh, a small school center back who, who impressed a lot of uh, coaches at the combine. Uh, Joey Dillon, the the four year starter at Georgetown, defensive midfielder, uh, he had a quiet combine, and I think that might have turned some people off. Uh, Victor Chavez, the UCLA forward, who actually had an impressive combine, uh, so that one was a little bit of a surprise that he actually didn't get drafted. And Romina Bowie, the defensive midfielder of ECU, another one of those D mids who had a quiet combine and slipped, and and that position, other than JJ Koval, who of the, all the, of that that crop of defensive midfielders, JJ Koval was the only one who had a pretty good combine, and he ends up going early in the first round to a team in San Jose. To be fair, that saw him quite a bit when he was at Cal, knew him better than anybody, and took him for me probably a little early, a lot early personally, I think. Um, but uh, those guys that I mentioned, I think those are, are, are some of the more talented uh, players available. And I think there's some talent there. I think Ronaldo Brenes, the Akron forward, Alex Martinez, the, the midfielder from North Carolina State, Luca Jimenez from Wake Forest. Uh, uh, there, there's, there's quite a few. There's quite a few players. Those are some of the names I'm sure you're going to hear uh, when the teams convene. Well, one player that doesn't have to worry about hearing his name called next week is Jamaican international, former UConn goalkeeper, and the newest member of the Philadelphia Union, number one overall pick, Andre Blake. Thank you for joining us today. How you doing, Andre? I'm doing pretty good, you know. It's been a great day, you know. It's, it's a wonderful feeling just to know that you've been selected as the number one overall pick in the draft. You know, that's a little bit of history, but also it can be a little bit of pressure. But um, I'm not let too much of that pressure get to me, and I think I should be fine. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, and congratulations on, on on being drafted. Tell us a little bit about your range of emotions from the past 24 hours. <laughs> I mean, when I when I woke up early this morning, you know, everything was like normal. I didn't I didn't feel anxious. I didn't feel um nervous. But as soon as you know, it was like 11:30, and I got into that convention center, you know, everything change you know the environment was 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 rocking and it was like a lifetime experience you know and that's when all the nerves and all the anxiety started to chip in you know but when i I actually heard my name at number one which was pretty surprising to me you know i just i don't know i can't find words to explain how i felt i just i just felt weak you know and 
it's it's a great feeling. I just want to enjoy the moment because it's gonna be you know it's gonna be back to back to the pitch and back to hard work because as I said, being drafted number one, you know, there's a lot of pressure. So you're gonna to have to go on the pitch and show that I'm actually that. You know, maybe it was a good choice. Uh, Andre, when when did you first get a sense that that this could that this was a possibility that you could go number one? Did you did you did you not know at all until it happened, or or did did you, anybody kind of give you an idea this morning that this might happen? I didn't actually. I didn't really know until it happened because I I knew they had number two pick and I knew Vancouver had number three pick. I know they were both interested in me. I liked that. The closest I was thinking I might go was second or third. I really wasn't expecting to go number one. So when I really saw that they actually trade up to get me a number one, you know. That made me feel wanted, and you know I'm just gonna have to go and work hard and show them, you know, that I really appreciate what they have done for me and to make the team a better team. Andre, draft day is a day that you only get to go through once in your life, and you were in Philadelphia, brought up on stage after the number one pick. You know, before you walked up on stage, you were with a bunch of other guys who were also at the MLS Combine, who were also invited to the MLS draft. You know, how how was that kind of sitting around with everyone and, and kind of having that anticipation of who's going to go up to that podium first? I mean, that experience was like, you know, um, it was like, as I said before, it was a lifetime experience. I've never been in a situation like that before, you know. First off, going to the combine, you know, having 60 kids from, like, all over the country coming together to make four teams, which, you know, you're playing with a team that, you know, you haven't even practiced it before. So I feel like it was a pretty tough task, but, you know, all the guys, did what they had to do and they work hard and they just know that today, you know, it was out of their hands. They did all they could and it was just up to the teams now to make their decisions. So, you know, sitting in there with all the guys, you know, everyone seemed pretty confident even though they were all nervous and anxious because they knew that they did what they had to do and it was not up to the teams to make their decisions. Now, now a year ago, I know you were also on the Generation Adidas radar uh, but you chose to go back to school. What 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 made that decision for you last year, and what do you think changed from last year to this year to make you decide to uh, leave school early now? I mean, yeah, I wanted to leave last year, but, you know, a couple of things happened, and I had to make a decision, and I think at that time the best decision was to go back to school because, you know, getting it one year closer to your degree um, wouldn't hurt you, you know, and getting a couple more college games on your belt. So, I mean... It was a very hard decision. It was a tough time of my life. But, you know, what? I made a decision, and right now I have no regrets because I went back, you know, and I got closer to my degree, and, you know, I've gained a lot more valuable experience, which I'm going to take with me to the next level. Now, Andre, since you were at UConn, since you got to UConn, you, you've been the, the clear-cut number one there, uh, the clear-cut starter. Now you come to Philly, and it's going to be a pretty pretty good competition there for that number one spot. Uh, Zach McMath, uh, also, an, also a young goalkeeper, is there and he's coming off his best year so far. What do you think about that competition and 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 just that that chance to go you know day to day battling with someone for that sport, that starting job? I mean, I mean, in this case, you know, the fittest of the fittest of survive. But I, I've been telling previous media before that um, you know the worst that can come from this is we both get better. You know, so I'm just gonna go in. I'm gonna take it one step at a time. I'm gonna earn my respect in the locker room. Where I earn my respect on the pitch by working as hard as I can to make myself better and my team better, and then I'll just do what I have to do, and then I'll leave the decisions to the coaches. Now, no, uh, do you know any of the players on the Union team? I mean, I don't know how much you know about the group, but it's actually a pretty young team. Quite a few young players, some of the best young players in the league. 
So uh, even though you're going to the pros, you're actually going to have quite a few guys on that team who are either your age or even younger. Yeah, and that's that's pretty good, you know, because at least you feel comfortable knowing you have guys, you know, around your age group going in and guys who can actually play, you know, who can help you out in certain situations and to help you make that transition from the college league. So I think that's going to be very interesting and that's going to be very helpful also. Andre, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What makes you tick? How would you describe yourself to Philadelphia Union fans? Um, first of all, I want to say I want to say a big shout out to the Philadelphia Union's fan base. You know, they made me feel so welcome today when my name was called. You know, it was like five minutes, and I, I felt like I was a part of the group already. You know, and I just want to say thanks to them for that. And what what they can look for for me is you know, a humble, hardworking kid who's going to try to leave it all at the pitch. Person, they can be free to come up to and talk at any moment. And you know, I'm just going to go out there, work hard, and show my appreciation by giving it my best and be very dedicated to the team and Andre I've heard I've heard pretty good stories from different goalkeepers about how they've ended up becoming a goalkeeper what's uh what's your story what led you to end up in between the pipes you know obviously in you know Jamaica soccer's a big sport uh was it were you just always the biggest guy the tallest guy like how did you end up a goalkeeper um, ever since I was smaller, maybe six or seven, my dad and my brothers, they would always take me to the soccer fees, you know, and I would always kick around. And, and I noticed I'd always find myself wanting to go inside the goal, trying to catch balls and all of that. And then I discovered that it was something that I enjoyed doing. And, like, for me, it, it, it came a little bit easier than for others. So then I started thinking maybe, you know, it was, was a gift for me, you know, and then. From there and then I, you know, I started to, to like it more. And then when I was maybe age 15, I, I went to the tryouts for the national one of 15 team. And I got selected. And, um, I started to like it more and more. And then I went into camp and there was a goalkeeper coach there. And, you know, he told me that I have very good potential. And if I keep working on and if I stay focused and stick to my goals, then one day I could become a very good goalkeeper. So ever since that day, you know, I took it use and I held on to his words. And am I right now living my dream? Who who are the goalkeepers you kind of model your game after? Obviously, in MLS, we have Donovan Ricketts, who you know, one of the top goalkeepers in the league. I'm sure you know him well from the Jamaican national team. But who who are the goalkeepers, the, the star goalkeepers, the ones that you've kind of, I guess, grown have grown up trying to model your game after? Ever since I was younger, growing up, I was like Edward Van But ever since he stopped playing, I I didn't choose another goalkeeper. I told myself I wanted to be the next one. But I, I like that of Did you get a chance to meet him with the national team? Yeah, I've played with him a couple of times with the national team. I've practiced with him. So, you know, I've been around him for some time. Now, Andre, you mentioned the uh, the national team earlier. Uh, for some people uh, who, you know, who never heard about you before today, they might not actually be aware that you've already been called up by the senior national team for Jamaica and have even played in a game before. What, what were those experiences like, and how much did those experiences help you kind of feel like you're ready for the pros? I mean, those experiences are great, you know, knowing that I was actually the, the only college kid amongst all these pro players, you know, but I, I took that as an advantage, knowing that if I, if I wasn't doing something good, then there's no way that I would be among all these professionals. No players. I just try to be humble, try to work hard, and I just try to watch them as much as possible and take all the positives that I can. And 
that helped me a lot, you know, and that's that's where I measured up myself. I, you know, I could tell myself that okay, I'm ready to take this this next step because right now I was I was in a camp with all grown men, professional players, playing in England, Europe, and all over the globe. So I, I try to measure myself, you know, and um, I realized that I was ready to take on the challenge and I was ready to take the next step. Now, before today, what was your starting uh, your your appearance against Tottenham? Uh, I know you played against Tottenham down in Jamaica. Was that the highlight of your career before today? Yeah, definitely. You know, playing against Tottenham Spurs, you know, is maybe any kid dream. You know, I'm playing against a top team from England. And, you know, it was it was great. Just just get into the patient team, Adibayor, Garrett Bale, Drummond, Defoe, and the works. You know, it's just like, is this is this even you know, and try to be playing against in a game against and you know, like that helped me so much that it gave me like a constant booster that like something that I always remember and take with me whenever I play games because it helped me so much. Now, now you're the you were the number one pick in the draft today from UConn. And uh next year we could have another uh UConn player potentially be the number one pick in the draft talking to, and I'm ta- obviously I'm talking about Kyle Aaron, who for my money should have been in this draft, but you know, whatever happened, happened. Uh, you played with him. I mean, if he were in this draft, would you have taken him number one? Do you think he could have been, he could have pushed you for that spot? <laughs> I mean, you never know. You know, the, the draft thing is a, is a funny process. You know, you just it's all about how much the a team wants you or what is the team willing to do for you and what, what have you shown the team not just during the season but also at the combine. So it's hard to say, and it, it's a tricky process. At any minute, you know, when the team can trade up, the team can trade down. Uh, it's nothing that you can actually predict because sometimes you come that close, but things change like in a second or two. Right, but is he? But is he as good as advertised? Though you played with him, you played with Kyle Aaron. Is he? Is he the real deal? Yeah, I played him. He's a, he's a big time guy, you know. And if he this no, this is gonna be the real test, you know. Hot sauce to him for the for the first season, but now you know he was an underdog last season when you about him. So going into his sophomore year. Everyone is going to know about him. Everyone is going to target him. So if he can come up with a big year again, then we know, you know, it might be ready for the test. Now, Andre, I read somewhere that you're a big music guy and that you love Bob Marley and reggae music. For Philadelphia Union fans who want to get to know you a little bit more, can you give us some reggae artists that we should maybe all listen to? Oh, I like listening to guys like Beatman, you know, and Conscience, and, you know, Chronics and guys like those back home because, you know, I think because they're not just reggae artists, but you know, most of what they say, like it's conscious lyrics, it's things that that is actually reality that, that you can listen to and live by and be motivated by. Well, nice. Well, Andre, man, thank you so much for jumping on the show with us today. I can only imagine how many phone calls you're getting and text messages that you're receiving. We'll let you get uh, back to it. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. No problem. Thank you. Uh, good stuff right there, Ivis, with Andre Blake. That's now back-to-back years. The SBI show has had the number one overall pick in the draft on the show. Well, to be fair, we had uh, I think we had Andrew Farrell after he was. Uh, I mean, we had him before he was picked. So well, de- um, details, though. Right. No. But yeah, it's it's becoming a little bit of a tradition now. So uh, you know, hopefully from now on we'll we'll have whoever is number one pick. We'll have them after they've been taken. Yeah. What an what an award for that for college kids. You know. Hey, congratulations, number one pick, and you get to go on the SBI show for sure. Like that's that's pretty legit. Yeah. Maybe maybe one day people. Uh, you know, players players in the draft will actually have a clue what the SBI show is. What they don't? I thought some listened to it. No, 
I don't. I mean, I don't know. If you're a college kid, are you listening to pod? You listening to radio podcasts, or, or you know, you're you're, you're, party, you're partying, you're macking on, you're macking on females. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Working Ivis, out, you're working you, out. What are you talking about? These are committed athletes. They're they're committed athletes. Ivis, come on. They're they're not doing anything like that. All work and no play, my friend. <laughs> uh, well, the other thing at the uh, not the other thing, but at the MLS draft today, Ivis, lots of news uh, came out on, on on a very wide range of subjects, and Don Garber touched on a few things. Um, one of them is an interesting saga that looks like it might come to a close, and that is. Camilo with the Vancouver Whitecaps. We, we've seen kind of just some interesting behavior out of his part and his agent over the last couple of weeks. But according to Garber, it looks like the transfer is going to be done. Ivis, h- how do you feel about this whole situation and, and what he and what Camilo did here? It's messy. It's messy. It's ugly. It's 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 unfortunate. It's it's a bit of a um, black mark on the league. Um, but at the end of the day, if you you have to get rid of them, you have, if you're Vancouver, you have to get rid of them. There's really no going back when your player, you're the player you have who's under contract to you, uh, goes out and poses with another team's uniform. That's just, I mean, I'm sorry, that that's just uncalled for. It just, there's really tough. There's no going back from that, especially when the player really isn't isn't all that sorry for what happened. I mean, he obviously wanted to leave. Now, if you're Vancouver, all you can do is try to squeeze as much money as you can out of the deal and then go from there and try to bring in you know a new player it's going to be tough replacing him and and then and the 23 how many was it 23 goals he scored last year it's gonna be tough replacing that but at the same time you know they have they have Kikuda Mane, Darren Maddox they've got some exciting players I tell you what Omar Salgado from all accounts from everything I'm hearing uh is is ready to break out finally and uh or you know he's, he's gotten over the, the the foot injuries that have plagued him the last few years uh, he could really be a you know comeback player of the year type player. So I think Vancouver they're going to be all right. Um, but it's it's unfortunate, and you know I, I know a lot of people are going to blame MLS, but I don't really know what MLS did wrong in this instance. It, it, you know you can't blame MLS for for Camillo and his agent acting completely unprofessionally. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And, and look, I mean, if if you're also then going to sell the guy for over a million dollars, I mean, yeah. He, Hey, look, it's it's a really messy situation. On the Vancouver Whitecaps front, though, Ivis, I mean, look, Darren Maddox, Kakuta Mane, and Omar Salgado might be budding talent, but they need to be consistent. And, I don't know, maybe remaining hopeful that all three figure it out this year? I, I don't well, know. Have, that's, uh, that's, I I'm optimistic, they, but that's too they optimistic for me. Miller, so they do have a, they do have one veteran forward, I that believe. That is true. You know, and he, you know what? Hey, you're right. Hey, you know what? All those guys, they all have moments. So just space out their moments in the quarters throughout the season. They'll be well, fine. look, Mane is only – going to get better uh he, he really f- started to turn it on toward the end of mm-hmm. the year so i think he he you know he, he could actually get it done maddox i'm a little hot and cold on because he has all the talent in the world yeah. but he's, he's he's proven to be a bit of a head case uh and and salgado like i said i mean i've only i'm only hearing really good things from him and the former number one overall pick mm-hmm. um you know he i think this is i really i tell you what i actually ran into him in portland uh, toward the end of last year, mm-hmm. after the Portland Real Salt Lake playoff game, and uh, just seeing him, I mean, he looks completely different than the really skinny sixteen-year-old kid who was drafted number one overall. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the kid's filled out. I mean, he just looks like a statue. He's, yeah, I'm telling you, man, he, this this kid is going to have a breakout year. I, I, I dude, I want to believe you, man. That that's it's not. I do look Vancouver. We we've talked about this before with the young talent that they have up top. Vancouver could be a spooky team if all those guys figure it out. En- enough about Vancouver. We, we have a, we have the rest of the season to talk about about the things like this, but we have to talk about the, the present things on hand. Ivis. Another thing that Don Garber touched on was Maurice Idu. What are you hearing on this? What what's the latest on the Maurice Idu front? 
Well, uh, obviously Don Garber uh, commented on into on on the Mauricio situation today and, and called it something that's still ongoing. There's still discussions being had, and in my in my talks with the the Philadelphia Union folks, the the word there is that it's still a, a fluid situation. Uh, it, it is not dead. That's and you know what? At the end of the day. Uh, the one thing, if you're a union fan, you're going to be happy to hear is that the Marisa Du deal is not dead. It is very much still being worked on, and 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 there seems to be some confusion about about what what it does, future holds, where he plans to go, what are his options right now. The fact is, MLS is very much on the front burner for Marisa Du, and you know, there, there he has other options. There's there's other opportunities in Europe, but this MLS option is very much a top option for him. If he can get the 1.5 million that he's looking for, or if he and the league negotiate a number that works for both sides mm-hmm. and gets a due into the union camp, all of a sudden you're talking about a union team with a brand new midfield, uh, a crop of uh, outstanding young talent coming in from the draft, and a team that all of a sudden becomes a real, real threat in the Eastern Conference. Well, and you just mentioned that right there, getting better in the midfield. Obviously, I mean, the union, you just said they had a great draft. Thinking about Lanny Marisa do, and then they go out and sign a DP, Christian Maidana. I, I, it, it's amazing to see what the union could do. And now we're seeing an influx of Argentinian players. What does what, what this move bringing in a DP for the union mean? Well, one thing I would say makes it clear is that the, the Philadelphia Union are spending money now. They're, look, they, they've, you know, they've had a reputation. They've been notorious uh, in league circles for being a team that doesn't spend a lot of money, that doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot of cash flow. Obviously, building the stadium was a really, uh, really big endeavor for them from a financial standpoint. Um, but it looks now they're like the, they're loosening the purse strings. It all started first with the Michael Brad, the attempt to sign Michael Bradley, the bid that they put in for Michael Bradley. It kind of showed some, some, you know, uh, some. What's the word I'm looking for? They're looking like they have some ambition. There's some ambition there in their ownership. And now with the with the DP signing of Maidana and now with Maurice Adu, if they can add him, I mean, all of a sudden they go from being that team that doesn't ever spend money to a team that's serious about being a contender. Well, Ivis, the one man who has been orchestrating all the moves for the Philadelphia Union is head coach John Hackworth, who is now joining us. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, gentlemen. John, uh, big day today for the Philadelphia Union. Talk about the decision to move up to the number one pick where you selected UConn goalkeeper Andre Blake. Well, you know, um, it was uh, it was a little crazy day around that that first round, and, and we were certainly pretty involved in it. Uh, it was a very late trade. You know, it became apparent to us that uh, if we didn't make that trade, we were going to lose Blake. Um, and just very frankly, we thought he was by far the best player in this draft. Um, so we made it a priority to, to try to get him. We thought we were in a good position with D.C., not needing a, uh, a goalkeeper. But clearly when they made a decision that they were going to uh, uh, try to execute a trade with somebody else, it was just a, you know, an opportunity we couldn't pass up. No, John. Uh, you know, you, you, I, you know. For me, you really cleaned up. You had you, the players you picked. You had you had three of the top nine players on my board, on my big board. And uh, it's just funny how the last time the draft was in Philly, you guys cleaned up as well. You got Amobi, Akugo, uh, Jack McInerney. Uh, are you going to start petitioning to have the draft in Philly every year? Yeah, and guess what? Next year, uh, I believe it's in Philly. So hopefully, uh, 
we can repeat this next year. T- tell me about the other the other two players. Obviously, Ribeiro, you know, quality midfielder, and Kevin Cope for me, who I thought was a steal, uh, who slid to you, the center back for Michigan State. What, what do those guys bring to the table? Yeah, I mean, uh, Pedro is a guy we know well. Uh, I guess we we had him uh, in our PDL program uh, at Reading, and he he was a very good player two summers ago. There, he trained with our first team. He was so good then that you know we thought, hey, this guy this guy's going to make it. Um, you know, having kind of had to wait two college seasons for him to come out. Um, you know, we we knew him well. We feel like he is uh, a little bit of a steal there, and and as a player that. That is a little different than other players in the draft. Uh, and then Kevin, uh, I agree with you. I mean, I think he's underrated. Um, surprised that he slipped that far, but uh, you know, we we we're happy to get him there, and uh, I think he can can be a, a play important player for us. And Robbie Dershank, too, I should say. You know, for us, he was the top kind of left back prospect in this draft. Um, so we feel like we've checked a lot of boxes today. Now, John, we usually don't see goalkeepers taken in the first round, yet alone with the first overall pick. You guys already have a goalkeeper in house. Zach McMath has been there for the past two years. Now bringing in Andre Blake as the number one overall pick. Can you talk a little bit about the competition that you're going to have at the goalkeeper position going into the season? Well, I think I think competition and, and meaningful competition uh, uh, in the right environment that, that's what really pushes guys uh, to be better. And, and, you know, Zach is our number one right now. But in Andre, we have a guy that has some skills that very few player, goalkeepers around our league even possess. Um, you know, so with some time and with some development, you know, I have all the confidence working with Robert Tugia and that, that, that he is going to develop uh, quite quickly and that – we will have a very healthy and, and meaningful competition at goalkeeper. Zach's our man, um, but this is going to be new for Zach because he hasn't had somebody the caliber of Andre pushing him. And and, uh, and we think Andre, you know, we, we've been a little fortunate, I should say, that Zach has played the last two years, and we haven't really had to go to a position where we needed our our number two. Um, I think that that's going to change clearly, but but you need that kind of depth. And you know, in this draft, for me, best player by far. So hard to pass up the best player when you, when you have have that opportunity to grab them. Now, John, one of the the big topics of conversation around Philly uh, on the soccer front uh, is a player who is actually not on your team right now, uh, Maurice Adu. Uh, his potential acquisition is a big talking point. Uh, you know, the reports of of it being held up by the league as far as the money goes. Today, Commissioner Don Garber actually commented on it and said it's still in the works. It's it, there's, there's negotiations, discussions going on. So it sounds like it's not dead. There's, so there's still that possibility that this uh, the U.S. national team midfielder could come to you. Can, can you give us a little update on, on where that stands and, and, and you know, just kind of give us catch us up on what's going on there? Okay. Yeah, uh, I apologize. I don't know what, what Commissioner Garber said about it, but uh, I can tell you that it, it does have life right now um, and that we are, uh, on our side, are, are still very much uh, actively pursuing uh, this acquisition and, and think that having uh, Mo come join the union would be fantastic for our club and for the city. I personally feel it would be a great thing for our league as well. 
Um, I know the league is is working hard to try to to try to make this work, and and I believe that Mo and and Lyle York's uh, his representative are doing the same. So we have three you know parties all with the same goal, which is to try to get uh, Maurice here to Philly, and and we're you know we're going to do everything we can. Um, you know this is always it's always difficult and a little bit fluid in these negotiations, but. I'm an optimist, and I think I think we're going to be able to pull this one out. Now, you guys, uh, as a team, the union, uh, you know, there, there's always kind of been that that knock on you guys that you don't spend money. But now here we are. You know, you, you guys did put in a bid for Michael Bradley, uh, as has been reported, uh, and and you just signed a designated player uh, last night on Wednesday, a uh, playmaker, and now you have a bid in. From what I understand, you know, 1.5 million dollar a year bid on Marisa do. So it sounds like you guys are spending some money now or you, you want to spend some money. What, what's, has, has there been a change there in, in, in the ownership and the organization? Well, I think this is a, a strategic and long-term plan by, by our club. Um, the first part is we built up some resources over the last couple of years. Um, that was a plan knowing that when we had a, a salary cap and a roster that was a little different, that we would have some some resources to, to go after some of these bigger type players, um, and then certainly our ownership has stepped up uh, dramatically, uh, and I think that's a good sign for our league overall. You look at the other clubs, and it's easy to tell that um, you know the ownerships are just they're investing in some of these bigger type players. Uh, uh, it was always a plan of ours to do that, and and. It's hard to tell your fan base that because they want it to happen right away. Um, but we believe that, you know, we were going to have some resources to go after these types of players. And it just so happened that, um, you know, when we had an opportunity for Michael, we certainly went for him. You know, it didn't work out. We didn't, we didn't land that. But uh, we're out there and we're working extremely hard trying to land these, these very important players to our club and to this city. And, and, we believe our fan base deserves it, you know, and, and it's great to be in a club that, that is truly wants to make those kind of moves. Uh, John, as Ivis just said, just alluded to it, you guys ha- did bring in a DP recently, Christian Mediano, Argentinian midfielder, and what he'll bring to the Philadelphia un- Union this season. Yeah, he is, um, look, he's uh, in Gonsta, all right? Uh, he's an attacking guy. He's in number 10. That's where he's playing. But he also has played a lot of his career as a left winger. Um, extremely technical, talented left foot. Uh, the thing that I really liked about him when I saw him 1v1 was his 1v1 ability in very tight spaces. Uh, his service was excellent, great on set pieces. Um, you know, he's got that creativity about him. He's, he's a young guy. He's been around the world. He's had some, some, you know, tough breaks here and there. He had a, an injury, uh, when he was in, in Russia, playing for Spartak. And, you know, he, he but he is—he's a guy that is still young and has a ton of talent, and um, we're very, very glad that we have uh, acquired him. Now, uh, now, John, the, the past few years, the, as a team, you guys have kind of carried that label of being a young team, uh, especially since you've come on board and you started playing some of the younger guys like uh, Jack McInerney and Moby Akugo. Uh, is this kind of the year where you kind of have to drop that label, and, and, and it's time for you guys to maybe take it to that next level? Do you feel like? With that group getting gaining the maturity over these past few years, do you think this could be the year that you guys break through? Well, I, I look. There's no question that we have invested in in some young guys, and I, I think anytime you do that, 
it's a matter of time, you know. Uh, you also need to have the, the right environment for them to, to really grow and develop. And, and we've seen that with all the guys you've mentioned. But, you know, Zach McMath is a guy that I think has benefited from that. Shane Williams is a young player that has benefited from that. You know, Ray Gaddis. We have, we have a young core that, that we have stuck with over the last couple of years. And those players, uh, are now at a, at a maturity level where they do and, and all of, all of them as well as the coaching staff and, and our, our whole organization, they expect that the bar gets raised a little bit. Um, our goals are lofty. You know, we, we want to be able to compete with any team in this league. We feel like we did that last year. Um, and at times we're very successful. In the end, it didn't, didn't come out to where we wanted it, but we feel proud of what we did last year and think that if we add these pieces, that adding to that young group, we're going to be a, a team that, that can compete with anybody. What, what, so, John, obviously you guys are still waiting on, on the league's uh, ultimate decision on, on Maurice Adu, but uh, aside from that, uh, are, are, there, are there still some things in the works for you guys uh, roster-wise? Or, or do you, guys, you have a few, I guess, other coals in the fire? Yeah, there's there's a couple other guys that we're uh, still working on very hard um, and very close to. We we hope that we uh, uh, can get at least a couple more of these done, um, and, and it'll it'll it will add some competition in all these positions. And and some of those young guys that you mentioned are going to have to have to step it up as well, you know, in, in training and and fight. But that's healthy. That's meaningful, um, and it's real. And and I think as a team, we will benefit from it. John, last year was one of the most exciting finishes to any Major League Soccer season. We saw tons of teams complete, competing for playoff spots, including your Philadelphia Union. This past offseason, we've seen a lot of teams improve their fortunes, especially D.C. United and Toronto FC. New England has also brought in a few more players, which one can only imagine how tight the playoff race is going to be this year. Have you had a chance to look around the league, especially the Eastern Conference, to see all the moves the other teams have made? They certainly are... Uh... They are certainly elevating it, um, no question. Uh, you know, Columbus is doing the same thing. And, you know, the off season is always like this. You know, we, we're not playing right now. So it's just we're talking about all these moves and we're making, you know, predictions. But the reality is that the Eastern Conference and the clubs that you mentioned, we're all pretty serious about trying to be a, uh, one of those clubs that, that literally – compete for the whole thing next year and and so it's i think it sets up for a great season um you know i'm obviously focused on my own team but you know as a uh, as somebody who really believes in the growth of this game in this country i think it's good for all of us and uh talking about your team focusing on your team uh do you think you guys have closed the gap obviously you, you fell short of the, the playoffs last year uh, and then, you know, as we've said, talking about Toronto and DC United, some of the other teams that missed the playoffs that have improved. Do you feel like you guys are positioning yourself now at this point to to, to be a, a playoff team this year? I do. Um, that's certainly our goal. Um, we felt like we were right there last year, and probably a little bit unfortunate not to not to make the playoffs. Um, but with that core of guys that we have returning, we didn't feel like we we. Uh, needed massive changes. We targeted some very specific uh, positions on our team, namely the midfield. Um, and, and clearly we have now 
got some resources and are chasing the type of players um, that you're talking about that we hope will put us over the, the edge a little bit. It, at the same time, you know, I don't want to discount the work that the current guys on our team have done because uh, I think last year, the learning process, the guys are going to be much better. I know how hungry they are. I know how much they believe in what we're doing. They believe in each other. It's a great, great locker room, great atmosphere that way. Uh, so I have every every reason to feel pretty good about it right now. Until we start playing, until all of us start playing, you know, it remains to be seen. Well, John, we appreciate you jumping on the show today. Ivis and I know how busy draft day is, and you guys have a few more picks next week in the third and fourth round. So we'll let you get back to it. I'm sure you have a lot more work to do today. John, thank you for jumping on the show with us. Guys, thank you. All right. All the best to you guys. And, and I got to say, Ivis, with, with the moves the Philadelphia Union have made, I mean, they were just right there outside of the playoff picture. And a couple of the teams that we, that we talked about, you know, Toronto, D.C., New England. I mean, look, the Eastern Conference, it's going to be tough this year, Ivis. Uh, it's definitely going to be tougher uh, when, when you see teams that were at the bottom last year, like D.C. and Toronto, doing so much to improve their rosters. Uh, it's just going to be that much more competitive. And obviously last year you could argue you know, the Western Conference from top to bottom was tougher. Um, but I think the gap's closing. I think the East has done a, a better job. Mm-hmm. At least the, the weaker teams in the East have done a better job to, to boost themselves up. Uh, that isn't to say that every team's out of the water yet. I mean, there's some teams that there are a lot of question marks about still, like the Columbus Crew, like the Chicago Fire. Um, but that being said, I think D.C. has improved quite a bit. Toronto FC obviously has improved, improved quite a bit. Uh, and, uh, and then you had the Philadelphia Union, which right now for me, uh, if, if they get this at Maurice Adu signing done, you have to put them in as a playoff team. Wow. That's not, a bit, that's, not going out, that's not really going out on a limb. I mean, they were, they were not that far off. From the playoffs last year, now you figure when you add two high caliber mm-hmm. midfielders, which which is you know something they really needed. Um, I mean, there's still some questions about their defense. Uh, now that they've moved off, they've they've traded away Jeff Park. Uh, now they have a pretty young crop of of uh, defenders to work with, uh, with with Amobi Akugo, mm-hmm. um, Ethan White, uh, the rookie now Kevin Cope, and then Carlos Valdez, who isn't from everything that I've been told, isn't going to come back he's gonna get he's gonna be sold most likely so uh there's a bit of a lacking uh in the in the veteran defender department so maybe that's still something that the union can address uh before the season starts or they could address with Maurice Adu. they could just drop him back they could just drop him back to center back um I, I don't know I don't I, I don't think they've brought I don't think they're bringing him in to, to play center back. I mean they already have a converted midfielder playing center back in Amobia Kugo so I really don't think that's what they, the plan is. I don't think they're spending 1.5 million dollars to have him play center back. Uh well I don't know it's just suggesting. I don't know. I mean he, he can spot duty every once in a while or, or train the young guys something like that. Uh I was speaking of the Eastern Conference. Don Garber touched on a few more things. Uh talked about DC United in the stadium which has been a long drawn out process but he did say that he's encouraged that they'll be able to start moving dirt in the next 12 months. I mean, look, for D.C., hopefully this is a reality and they get it done. I mean, D.C. deserves a stadium at this point. Uh, you know what? i tell you what. I've, I have talked about this, the, a D.C. stadium for so long now that it's kind, of, it's kind of pointless to even talk about it anymore. When we see a shovel in the ground somewhere – with a DC logo on it, DC United logo on it, with some DC officials around it, and some dirt moving, then then I say we talk about it. Otherwise, I mean, there's been so many false alarms with them that I'm sure even DC United fans are, are tired of it. I'm sure them 
they're 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 even not. I, I doubt, and many of them are getting excited about it, just because it's been so many times now that they've been told a stadium is in the works, a stadium's in the works, a stadium's close. There's a project. There, it's it's got the votes. It's gonna come. You know what? When there's a shovel, it's <laughs> moving some dirt. Call me, and I'm sure that's exactly how a lot of these United fans feel about it at this point. And Don Garber also mentioned uh, that they'll be hopefully making an announcement soon for NYC. Um, NYCFC. There it is. All right, Ivis. Well, that wraps up the show today, man. I, I know you're probably exhausted with all the with all the draft coverage and, and news and wheeling and dealing and everything else that was going on today. It's a, well, like I said, it's it's the best time for me. It's the best time of the year because you get everybody, you get all the coaches, managers all together, and they start wheeling and dealing. They start talking trade. Uh, so it's 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 probably one, it's only one of the few times all year where you get that setting. So. Uh, it was definitely a fun time down at the at the combine in Florida. It's been a fun time here in Philly, and uh, uh, it's Thursday night, and it's the last, last night, and, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of coaches and general managers unwinding and relaxing after finally getting through this ordeal before they start even thinking about the preseason, which is just around the corner. Yeah, it's uh, it's insane to think. I, some of the teams start reporting to Arizona like in, in two weeks. I mean, it's it's amazing to think that preseason starts that soon. All right, I, I have a I'm going to put my foot down this time. We are going to end the show. We're not going to ramble for 30 minutes or anything like that. So. I'm going to let you go. You have a good night, and I'll talk to you again next week. All right, man? No rambling this time, but we will bring the rambling back and the Q&A back for the next Oh, show. yeah, we got to do Q&A. We didn't do that this week. Yeah. That, oh, that was – was that my fault or your fault? I can't remember. It's the draft's fault. There's just too much stuff going on. Uh, and we'll be – you know, Sunday's going to be a perfect show. We're going to try to get a couple more coaches on uh, and, and to talk about the draft and some other things. So uh, Sunday, hopefully, should be a good show. Yes. Yes. Looking forward to it. All right. Done for Ambly. Ivis, I'll talk to you later, man. As always, everyone, thank you for listening. This is the SBI Show. All right, Beach. I do too, man.